Hey, we're going to jump in. Remember, we've been uh, in a series entitled Faith, Nothing is Impossible. You see, God has called us to be a people of faith. He called us to be people who trust him explicitly. Um, and, and so we looked at that. So over the next couple of weeks, I want to continue looking at uh, this subject of faith. And um, I believe God's got some things that he wants to address in us and through us. And, um, and so in that, today we're going to look at something different. But let's start with the word, amen? Go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So first of all, we have to ask ourselves, faith is not a future thing. Faith is in the present. It says now faith is. Not someday faith will be. Not hope you're going to get it someday. You see, if we're going to really walk in faith, we're going to have to just decide, I believe that God wants me to have this, and in God's mind, it's as good as mine now, so I might as well act like I've got it. You know? It's mine. I have it now. And, uh, and so it says, now faith is the substance. It's, 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 it's made up of something. Faith is something that can be felt. Faith is something that has substance. And, and, and he says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence. It brings them into reality of the things that we don't see. Brother Hagen said it like this. I, t I read this quote to you last week. He said, faith is grasping the unrealities of hope and bringing them into the realm of reality. Faith is when you decide to reach out and go into the things that you cannot see and say, I am going to trust God even though I don't see it, even though I don't understand it. I'm going to grab a hold of this and I am pulling this over into the realm of my reality that I live in now. This is what, <laughs> yes, this is what faith is for us. This is what faith does for us. It, it, it grabs things that we can't see. See, if we see it and we already have it, we can't say we have faith for it. I don't have faith for a pair of black shoes to wear to church this morning. I knew I had a pair of black shoes. But if I wanted a pair of pink shoes. <laughs> listen, pink's my favorite color. Don't be surprised if I come in here to pick a pair of pink shoes. Uh, Ted says he will. I want you to look at Hebrews 11.1, 1, but I think we're going to read this next translation. I think we're going to read it out of uh, the Living Bible. The Living Bible says it this way. It says, what is faith? It is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. That's what faith is. It is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. Not might happen, not... Well, I don't know. It is going to happen. Faith is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. And he goes on to say, it is the certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us. It is the certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us. 
See, that's what happens when we have faith. Faith, we become so certain that what we're looking for, that what we're praying about, that what we're desiring, and we find it that it's according to God's will, it is the surety that I know it's waiting on me. I'm making my way to it. Now, we might get into this over the next few weeks, but remember when Abraham took Isaac to the top of a mountain? And he raises that dagger up and he's getting ready <clears throat> to sacrifice his own son. And an angel grabs him and says, ho, 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 don't, don't, don't do your son harm. He said, don't do your son harm. And he looks over and there was a ram already tangled up in a thicket. See, the whole time what we don't want to forget is when Abraham was walking in faith, he was walking toward the thing that God had already provided. He was sure that what he hoped for was waiting on him. Because if you'll remember, when they went up on the mountain, they said, well, we, you know, Isaac wasn't a dumb kid. So we've got this idea that he was just this little boy and, you know, he's dumb. No, he was big enough to carry the wood. <laughs> and he started up the mountain. He said, Dad, we got stuff to make a fire. We got wood. I don't see a sacrifice. <laughs> But what was Abraham's response? God will provide for himself. So Abraham walking up the mountain, he was walking toward what God, he was sure that God had already provided. See, you've got to keep walking this. When we're walking in faith, we're walking in things that sometimes are blind to us. We don't see them. We can't expect how in the world it's going to happen. But you have to rest assured that what you hope for is waiting on you and you're making your way to it. Oh, glory to God. He said, it is the certainty that what we hoped for is waiting for us even though we cannot see it up ahead. Even though we cannot see it up ahead. So the definition for faith we looked at last week, let's look at it again. The definition of faith is a belief, the assent of the mind to the truth of what is declared by another. For you and I to have faith, we are going to have to allow everything in us to accept what God said as true. When we come to the point where we accept what God promises is true, we accept what God says is true, then we are walking in a place of faith that is not determined by the things around us. That's not determined by the things we see. That's not determined by the situations around us. We are walking in a place that doesn't matter what lies in front of us. Doesn't matter what hell comes in around us. Doesn't matter how everything's falling apart. We are set like stone. Our face is set like flint because we know that we are heading to what God has already provided. You talk about a fun life. Remember we talked about last week, Abraham took off. God said, man, I'm going to take you to a place and I'm going to give you a land. Well, where are we going, God? I'll tell you when you get there. Walked to the end of his gate and had to trust God to tell him left or right. Walked to the end of the road and had to trust God to say left or right. Folks, a lifestyle of faith is a fun lifestyle. But I want to tell you this. It's not always easy. That's why Paul called it a fight. 
He said, I fought the fight of faith. Why? What are you fighting? You're fighting every demon that lies to your brain. You're not going to get it. It's never going to happen. God can't do it. Gets has gone too far. It's hopeless. It's, just, it's give it up now. Don't. See, what are you fighting? You're having to fight your own thoughts that would say, I guess I didn't get it. I prayed one time. Told you one of the statements I heard Brother Hagin make one time. He said, people, somebody looked at him and said, well, I tried that faith stuff and it didn't work. And his response was, no, faith tried you and you didn't work. <laughs> it, it happens like that with all of us. We all go through these things. So faith is the belief of the ascent of the mind to the truth of what is declared by another. Resting on his authority and veracity without any other evidence. Trusting God without any other evidence. Folks, this is what you're called to do. This is who you're called. You are called the people of faith. You are called children of faith. You are called to be this people who trust God with no evidence. If I have evidence, it's no longer faith. It's like living in Missouri. The show me state. Somebody knew. I'll believe it when I... Isn't that what Thomas did? I'm not really saying you're lying. <laughs> but I'll believe it when I see it. When I can put my hands in his side. And I can touch the holes in his... He said, then I'll believe it. And Jesus appears to him and said, man, you're blessed. Because you've seen. But what does he say? More blessed are those who haven't seen... And yet believe, there is a blessing that comes when you decide to trust God and you don't have any other evidence than just his word. That's what it does for us. Go to Hebrews eleven six. How important is faith? Well, faith is so important, it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. But without faith, it is impossible to believe him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. So what do I have to do? I'm not only coming to God because I believe he exists, but I'm coming to God believing he is a rewarder just because I came to him. That he is going to provide all my needs according to his riches and glory just because. Not because of anything I do, not because of anything I can, I can be good enough, wear my hair right, do anything else. Just because I trust him, he is going to reward me. That's faith. And without coming to him like this, we can't even please him. This is the kind of faith that pleases God. That when we come to him, that we believe that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Now, don't get mad at me. Everybody say, well, I won't. Because this is pastors in here. This is where they usually get mad. So faith is the only thing that moves God. He's not moved by your tears. Oh, he, he, he weeps with you. Matter of fact, the word says he collects our tears. He collects our tears in jars. Why? So that he can pour them out in blessing. 
But the only thing that we see that moves God is faith. We think because we can cry hard enough. Hey, Rachel, we think because we can pray long enough. Listen, y'all don't know the amount of prayer that goes on in this church. We have one whole day, an hour, just dedicated during the week. But then Rachel decides to come up here and she's going to, she cleans the church for us. And, and, and let me tell you, there's so much praise and, and she puts headphones on and she, sometimes she don't even know I'm in the building. Me and Dee will open the door and listen to her sing. <laughs> but you know what? No matter how much I cry, no matter how much I yell, no matter, oh God, that's not what moves God. And we think that if I yell loud enough at the devil, he's going to move. Show me in the scripture where Jesus ever yelled at the devil. He didn't scream and tell it to move. But we've been trained that way. Get loud, get passionate. And sometimes we get so emotional, I understand that's what happens. We get loud, we get... You know, and that's okay. I'm not saying that's wrong. But what I'm saying, that's not what moves him. What moves him is when a person reaches out and trusts him when they have no reason to. They have no evidence to. And he looks down and says, there's faith. Remember, again, I'm getting to stuff that you're going to cover over the next weeks. But remember when the woman with the issue of blood was coming to Jesus? The word says, if she said within herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be whole. She said she'd been sick for 12 years. She had tried every doctor, spent all the money she had. And she said, if I can just touch. First off, the faith started in her. Not in his ability. She was not healed because of the ability of Jesus. What's the scripture say? It says she pressed through the cloud, cloud, crowd. It says she reached out and touched the hem of his garment and said that all of a sudden Jesus stopped and said, well, somebody touch me. And the disciples said, man, what are you talking about? Look how many people's pushing in on you. Everybody's touching you. But there was something about faith that put a draw on the power of God. Somebody else touched him different than everybody else touched him. And she reached out in faith. How do we know she had faith? I'll tell you, I'll show you in just a second. She reached out in faith and it drew, Jesus felt the power leave him. He said, wait a minute, somebody touched me. And she, she withdrew, man. She got afraid. She stopped the whole parade. And he turned around and she said, it was me. And what's Jesus' response to her? Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Not my power, not my divinity, because he has all power and he was magnificently divine. But that's not what healed her that day. What healed her was when she had no other reason but to believe it. She had no other option but to say, if I can just touch the very hem of his garment, I will be healed. And Jesus turns and says, your faith. 
This is why Hebrews 11:6 6 says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. Remember, I told you last week, Smith Wigglesworth once said, there's something about faith that will cause God to pass over a million people to get to the one that's trusting him. Faith is the only thing we find in the word that moves God. And so when we begin to act on this kind of faith, we'll begin to see God move on our behalf. Go to Romans chapter 12. You're going to hear this kind of stuff over the next few weeks. It'll all come out like it is right now. It's what I'm studying, so it's what you're getting. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For I say, though grace through the grace given to me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly, According as God hath dealt to every man, what? The measure of faith. That means there's one measure. Ted don't get a little more than you. And then Galen gets a little more. And then Paul Ellis is over here going, I wish I had the same amount of faith that they did. If I just had the same amount of... I, if I just had the same amount of faith as Galen, but I would settle for at least as much as Ted's got. And that's what we think. We look at people of faith, and we look at these great big giant ministers, we look at all these great big things, and think, wow, if I just had that kind of faith, guess what? You do. Because it is given to every man the measure of faith. Everybody has the same amount of faith. Just like when a baby's born, it has the exact same amount of muscle that I've got. You don't gain more muscles. You develop muscles. You can't gain, Lord, give me faith, Lord, give me faith. We sing songs like that. Give me faith. Why? You're, you not believe him? Do you not trust that he's already given you faith? Because the Word says He's already given me faith. So for me to sit out here and sing, Lord, give me faith. Lord, I don't believe you. I don't believe your Word. I don't trust you. So I have to come and beg for some more. But without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. He that is given to every man, the man you have faith. Some people know how to exercise it a little bit better. Some people have built it up. Some people have done a little bit more exercise than others. Right? That's what this faith does. Everyone has the same amount of faith. And, but the thing is, some of the worst enemies in out to our faith are not... The worst enemies... To our faith is not the devil. The worst enemy to my faith is me. I'm my own worst enemy. Lord, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. And you walk away, oh, I hope that worked. You don't trust him. 
If you trusted him, you'd get your wood, you'd get your fire, you'd get your knife, you'd take your sacrifice, and you'd walk toward what you believe is already waiting on you, another sacrifice. (laughs) So what are the hindrances to our faith? The first one is fear. And I, I hinted to these a little bit ago. Fear. Let's look at the definition of fear, and we're going to try to get through these as quickly as possible, and we'll go to lunch. Fear is a painful emotion or a passion excited by the expectation of evil. That's Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Fear is an excited passion because you expect evil. So where's the, where the, where the basis of fear then? It's in my expectations. Oh, come on. Fear is based on the your expectation of evil. Imagine if we just quit expecting everything to go bad. Well, if it's going to go wrong, it's going to happen to us. That's just our family curse. That's the way it is. If anything can go wrong, it's going to happen to a whatever your last name is. Why? Because you expect it to. And faith is simply what you expect to happen. So you have faith in the negative. Wow. Painful emotion or passion excited by the expectation of evil or the apprehension of assumed impending danger. Fear is what you expect and what you assume. And if you can get past your negative expectations and your negative assumptions, then you can just jump over into faith immediately. So what's the enemy that I have to fight? My own self. I have to fight my fear. Let's go on with the definition. Fear is accompanied (coughs) with the desire to ward off the expected evil. Well, this is going to happen, so I'm not going to even get close to that. If I don't look at it, it won't happen. Like a kid playing hide and seek. Remember when they were about three or four and it can't see me? God didn't call believers to walk around covering their eyes hoping the enemy can't see them. He called you to storm right into hell with a water gun, take back what the enemy took from you, and said, this is what I have been called to get, and my Father will supply all my need according to his riches and glory. I am going to get what is coming because my God said that he would bring it to me. And when I can get past my own fears, I can get past my own negative assumptions, I can get over there where I can trust him no matter what's going on in my life. Fear is accompanied with the desire toward or to avoid the danger. Fear is an uneasiness of the mind upon the thought of future evil likely to befall us. This is what fear is. It's an excitement in my mind of the thought. Will I perish the thought? Some of you need a thought transplant. Brent, this is why Corinthians says, 
take authority, take control, make captive your thoughts. If I can make captive my thoughts, I can take captive my fear. And when I can take captive my fear, I step over into faith and know that I'm working toward what God has already promised me. If you want my definition of this, fear is knowing the promises of God, but afraid to stand and receive them. It's knowing the promises of God, but we're afraid to stand and receive them for the expectation of failure. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. So if you quit now, what do you get? Same thing you got right now. But what if you're one hilltop away from your promise wrapped up in a thicket waiting on you the whole time. He was prepared. When you started up the one side, that ra- I'm telling you, Abraham started up one side of the mountain, that ram was probably 100 yards ahead of him. Walking up the other side. But Abraham couldn't see the promise, so he just kept walking. We have to get to the point where we can take control over our unwarranted emotions. How important is overcoming fear? Well, go to Job chapter 3. We all talk about Job. Well, God dropped his hedge around Job. Folks, let me tell you, God did not drop his hedge around Job. Well, then how did the enemy get in? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Job chapter 3, verse uh, 25. Job 3, 25. Look what Job says here. For the thing I greatly feared has come true. What allowed the enemy to work in Job's life the way he worked in Job's life? It was Job's fear. It wasn't that God said, watch this. I'm going to remove my hedge. No, what the enemy found was a place where he could get through. The one place where Job wasn't trusting God. And the place where he wasn't trusting God is where he got in. He said, for the thing which I have greatly feared has come upon me, and what I has dreaded has happened to me. So why did these things happen to Job? He was afraid of losing his stuff. He was afraid of losing his kids. The only place the enemy came in was in his fear. So where's your fear lie today? You can pretty much find out where your fear lies because it's usually the greatest spiritual struggle that you find. It's the biggest struggle in your life. And you can tell what you're afraid of. Ooh, y'all okay? He said, that which I have greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I have dreaded has happened to me. Verse 26, I am not at ease. That means he was diseased. Not at ease, diseased. Oh. (laughs) And I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes to me. So where's your fears? Some of our fears are silly. 
Remember, fear is the expectation of evil. It's what we expect to happen. It's what we assume will happen. I had a, 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 a when I was a, a counselor, I had a patient who was afraid of chickens. See, that sounds silly to us, but to her, I mean, I'm sitting in my office one day and my door busts open and she comes barreling in, shuts the door behind her. Now, my office was in the back of the building. Big building, wasn't it, baby? I said, what's the matter with you? There's a chicken on the parking lot. But what had happened was when she was little, her grandmother died in the other room, and at the same time they told her her grandmother died, a chicken flew in their window. So she associated that chicken with death. So any, now what does fear do? It's a desire to avoid. It's a desire, and then what this verse, the, the, the trans, definition said? It's a desire to avoid the assumed. So every time she saw a chicken, she ran. So you can tell what you're afraid of because every time you see it, it's what you'll run from. It'll be the thing you try to hide from. It'll be the thing you try to get away from. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 from the Amplified Classic Version. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. King James says fear. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardness, of craven or cringing and fawning fear. That's not what God gave you. God didn't give you a spirit of fear. But he has given us a spirit of power, love, and of a calm, well-balanced mind and disciplined and self-control. God didn't give you a spirit of fear. He gave you the spirit of a calm, well-balanced, at-ease mind. So when I operate in fear, I am operating completely opposite of what God has provided for me. It is to take on the weapon of the enemy and act like it's my weapon. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Do not be afraid. I'll, I'll give you time if you're looking. This is a command, by the way. He didn't say please here, Michael. Do not be afraid of sudden fear. Nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. Do not be afraid. That's a command of God. Why? Because it destroys your faith. Do not be afraid of sudden fear or the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Maybe it's time we trust God and remove all fear. Let's go on a little bit more. The second big thing that happens inside of us that hinders our faith is doubt. Is doubt. Webster says this of doubt. Doubt is to question or to hold questionable. Now see, we all like the statement, well, don't question God. And that, that's usually attached to somebody dies or something happens that we don't understand. Well, don't question God. Well, any time that I doubt means that I'm questioning God. 
To doubt means to not question or to hold questionable. It means to hesitate to believe. It is a fluctuation of the mind respecting the truth or the proprietary arising from the deficit of, uh, or defect of knowledge or evidence. It's an uncertainty of the mind. This has nothing to do with the devil. This is me. Now, he will give me every opportunity, Alice, to doubt. He will put everything in front of me. But the doubting, guess, who's, guess who that's left up to? Me. My definition. Doubt is knowing the promises of God <laughs> and being unsettled as to whether God will perform them or not. Doubt is one of the most dangerous things for a believer because it literally puts me in the place and I feel like I have the right to question whether God is as good as he says he is or not come with me whether I have the ability I have the right some reason to question his goodness doubt it's given birth to and it stems only after the truth is known. Doubt is when I look at God's word, I see what God's word says and I still say, I just don't know. He may do it, he may not. I question that. And folks, let me tell you, people have no problem saying things like these and they're going to be on your screen. God doesn't do those things anymore. What are they doubting? They're doubting his faithfulness. God performs miracles when he wants to. You're doubting the love of God for all men equally. Well, God may do it for D, but for Emily, that might not be his will. So if she gets healed and you croak over, that was, that was just, that's how God planned it. So you're saying God loves D more than he loves Emily? So he heals one and not the other? Now you say, well, if you go like that, then nobody will ever die. The word says we're going to die. It's appointed. This body's going to wear out. It's going to go. I'm going to tell you, if you're a believer, you're wrong if you're afraid of it, but we'll get there in a couple weeks. <laughs> That's just a little plug for something coming. Uh <laughs> Here's one. Let me show you how we doubt God. God uses sickness to teach us a lesson. Really? Show me one time where Jesus did it. Show me one time in the scripture where Jesus said, I am going, Jesus said, I'm going to make you sick so you can learn me to trust me more. You're going to be hard pressed. To find where Jesus did it. You see, what some people want to do, they want to run to misinterpreted Old Testament scriptures. But we have to remember, Jesus came to be the representation of God on earth. He is the will of the Father. Oh, come on. You want to know the will of the Father? Look at everything Jesus did. And my word says that he went around healing all. Acts chapter 10 verse 38 said how God was with Jesus. And he anointed him with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. 
Well, then why do people get sick? I could, I could tell you. But I'll tell you this. I had this conversation with somebody the other day in another state. I was on the phone. I said, and you all heard me say it. If I fall over today, somebody better get in this pulpit in the next week and preach healing. Because the fault didn't lie with God. Because it's his will to heal. <laughs> you don't mean that. I absolutely mean it. I'd, I'd be mad. I don't know if I could enjoy my first few minutes of heaven. <laughs> if I got up thinking that somebody wasn't preaching healing immediately. It's funny because things happen to people we question God. And the only person in that, in that relationship was them and God. Mm. Matthew, Mark, I'm sorry. Mark. Mark chapter 11, verse 23 and 24. We'll cover these in more detail later. For assuredly I say to you, whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt. And shall not doubt. But believe those things which he says will come to pass. He will have whatever he says. He says, whoever says to this mountain and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that the things which he says will come to pass, he will have whatever he says. Go to verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, whatever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you'll have them. Believe that you, but what, see, believing comes when? When you refuse to doubt. But belief comes when you refuse to doubt. You refuse to question God. <laughs> James chapter 1. Let's look, look at how important to get rid of doubt is. James chapter 1, verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Now, let him ask in faith, no doubt. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Now look at verse 7. For let not that man suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. Let what man not... He's, in other words, he said, if you're going to come out here doubting, don't think you're going to get anything from God. <laughs> Why? He said, because when you doubt, you're, you're not right in your head. He says, <laughs> verse 8, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Doubt makes me unstable. It means I trust God. Yeah, I don't trust God. I trust God to save me, but I don't trust him to keep me. So I got to make myself good enough for him to keep me. I trust God to heal my cold, 
but I ain't sure about cancer. Hmm. I trust him to meet all my needs. I just hope he will my family. You're unstable. It's double-minded. So we need to get rid of fear. We need to get rid of doubt. Last one. Here we go. You need to get rid of disbelief. And disbelief is different than doubt. Disbelief is completely different than doubt. Well, I don't think so. The definition for disbelief is a refusal of credit or faith. Disbelief means I'm questioning it. I'm sorry. Doubt is means I'm questioning it. Questioning it. Disbelief says, I don't believe it. No, you can't convince me of it. It means to not to believe. It's a denial of belief. It means to hold not to be true or not to exist. It refuses to credit. My definition is this. It is to hear the promises of God from the word and then refuse to accept it as true. My wife and a person was having a conversation one day about healing. And I come home at the end of the conversation. They had been there for a couple hours. And, and, and when they left, they was like, oh, I just don't get it. And I'm like, well, what don't you get? Said, well, they came to me when we were talking about healing. And they said, I just, I can't believe it. I've seen too much. God not heal people. And I said, so what'd you do? She said, for the last two hours, I've given scripture on top of scripture, on top of scripture, on top of scripture, on top of scripture. And the last words they said to her was, I know that's what the word says, but I just can't believe it. That's disbelief. Folks, if you can't be sure about what he says in, word, in one part of his word, can you be sure about what he says in any part of his word? Then you have to ask yourself, do we really trust him at all? And if I can't trust him for what he says in one part of the word, but he tells me over here that he'll save me, can I even really trust him for that? Most folks know because that's why they keep coming back going, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. God, remember what I did? He goes, no. Yeah, remember that time? He goes, no. Yeah, but I did this. Goes, I don't remember. We spend more time time to get God to remember the things that we refuse to forget when the Word says that He casts all of our sin into a sea, hangs up a no fishing sign, and says they will be remembered no more. I just can't believe that. It's disbelief. Go, if you will, to Hebrews 3. Talking about the children of Israel, they were released from Egypt. They started on their journey in verse 19. Hebrews 3, verse 19. And as they're going, look what it says. It says, so we see that they could not enter. Why? Because of unbelief. They had the promise of God. God led them out of Egypt. He was feeding them. He, multiple times, water came out of a rock. Poison water was made good. They crossed the sea 
on dry ground. And they still didn't get to enter into what God had already promised them just simply because they chose not to believe him. Some of us are going to be in really, really close danger of not receiving the promises of God because we're not convinced that he means what he says. He says, <laughs> go to Mark chapter, yeah, go to Mark chapter 6. We'll end here. Mark chapter 6, verse 5. Now he could do no mighty work there. Now we're talking about the divine Jesus. Mark chapter 6, I mean verse 5, yeah. We're talking about God incarnate. Everybody say God incarnate. God. God could do no mighty work there. God could do no work there. See, we, we, don't, we miss the power of that verse. He could do no mighty work there except he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. That's all he could do. Why? Verse 6 tells us why. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Unbelief. Faith, as much as faith moves God, unbelief hinders God. Your unbelief. Well, God's sovereign. He can do what he wants to do. Right. But he also put something inside of you when he breathed in you and said, I am putting my speaking spirit in you and what you speak on the earth will be done. And what you allow on the earth will be done. And he himself won't even override it. He said he could do no mighty work there, save he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled at their unbelief. And so what did he do? And so he went about, go ahead, in the villages, in a circuit. What was he doing? Teaching. Getting people to believe. So, the enemy of my faith is not the devil. The biggest enemy of my faith is not the devil at all. It's fear. It's knowing the promises of God, but afraid to take a stand and receive them. Because I expect to fail. The, 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 is that definition on there, uh, Michael? Put that next definition on there. Fear is knowing the promises of God, but afraid to take a stand and receive them for expectation of failure. It's doubt. Doubt. It's knowing the promises of God, but being unsettled as to whether God will perform them or not. It's just to not trust him. And lastly, it's disbelief. It's hearing the promises of God and just in my stubborn refusal to believe them. The enemy of my faith is not the devil. It's not demons. It's myself. And if I can get past these and get a hold of these things, I can jump from fear 
into faith at the blink of an eye once I grab hold of myself. And once you grab hold of yourself. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are and what you are in our life. We glorify you, magnify you, praise you, and give you glory. And Father, today we repent of our fear. Like the man who had his, his son with you, we say forgive. Help us in our unbelief. So we repent of fear, we repent of doubt, we repent of our disbelief, and we say, Lord, remind us that we are a faith-filled people. It is given to us the measure of faith. I have all the faith I need right now. I just have to learn to exercise it. And remind us of that every day. In Jesus' name. Amen?